Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Draft is over. The San Francisco 49ers, they made a couple of selections. A lot, obviously, in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round after none in the first two rounds. Me and Sunil, we're here to break it all down to you guys. Give us our thoughts and even talk about the UDFAs as well. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. First post-draft reaction kind of video here, and I've got my main guy. We haven't done one in a minute, but it's the perfect time to do one. Sunil, how you doing, man? Doing fantastic, man. This is like one of the more exciting parts of the offseason. You get a chance to see how good your team got. You get to start like, you know, putting together who's going to be the paper champs, right? Who's the favorites? Did your team get closer to winning a Super Bowl or farther uh, away from winning a Super Bowl based off of how the draft won, how the draft went? So it's a fun time to be a, a 49er fan in general. Right. Yeah. I mean, this one was especially interesting because, I mean, even even outside of the 49ers, just the top, right? You, nobody knew really how the top was going to go because when if you look at the odds and how it ended up going – I think number one and number two, especially at least at the end of the day, ended up being uh, the same. But Will Anderson at three, people were expecting a quarterback to to get a uh, pick there. And then Richardson, people thought it would be Levis, but instead it's Richardson. Devin Witherspoon went a pick earlier than anticipated because the Seahawks passed on Jalen Carter. Just a lot of mix-up in the first round, a lot of intriguing picks. But we're here to talk about the Niners. We're here to talk about how their draft went, how what we think about it and things like that. So, Sunil, I'm going to ask you, just looking at the initial class, uh, what were your thoughts just uh, about the 49ers draft? Um, definitely get to that. But before, I, I do want to say, because it's not necessarily direct 49er talk, but a little bit of a spinoff. You got to say going into the draft and then what happened into the draft, um, outside of obviously the Eagles that I think had a phenomenal day um, on draft, on all three draft days. But it's nice to see 49ers kind of adjacent people making some big moves, right? We got to see obviously D'Amico Ryans and, and and the and the crew for Houston do like the draft day, like straight from the movie, 
kind of draft to take number the uh, CJ Stroud number two, draft up number three to take Will Anderson, which was fire. Um, the Tennessee Titans making some moves to go get their quarterback and you know upgrade their team that way. And then going into the draft, the big tra- the big trade obviously was Aaron Rodgers from Salah. So getting right. to see kind of like you know 49er adjacent people going out there being aggressive and and getting their teams better. But obviously want to see them be successful, but not as successful as the 49ers, which is uh, original, right? So my initial thoughts, Rohan, was at what point are people going to realize what the 49ers do in their first three rounds? There's all of this, like, people get frustrated. People are just like, why are they doing this? All this kind of stuff. I think for me personally, 49ers are one of a handful of teams that are extremely good at drafting. The proof is in the pudding. You look at uh, the homegrown, or you look at the stars that the 49ers have outside of Trent Williams, outside of CMC, everybody else is homegrown. They know how to draft. They know how to pick um, in the draft. They know how to draft players and develop players. But in the first three rounds, they don't necessarily always go best player available. They go best player available for a position that they value. And, and value means either a need or a position that they um, – are extremely in love with, which is usually D-line, trenches, things like that. And I think they did the same thing this this year, right? So obviously they didn't get any picks um, up until, you know, the third round. But in the third round, they went up, drafted up to get Jair, um, who was a position of need. And many say, you know, if not the best safety, one of the top two safeties um, available in the draft. So they went and got that guy, which was obviously a need. And then you know, the kicker, that's where the biggest debate is coming up, right, Rohan? As far as right. the kicker, but once again, best player available at a position of need or value, which is exactly what they what they did, right? So um to me, whether you agree with it or not, I think that my initial thoughts are the 49ers held true to who they are when it comes to draft philosophy. And the third round is always kind of questionable. Um, and then, you know, the later rounds, you got to see really the skill of the, you know, those that are drafting the scouts and whatnot, because you got a lot of players that you can be excited about as far as depth steals and uh, guys that you think could be pretty impactful for the team uh, in the future to come. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you talk about it, right, where they they got a certain philosophy that they're trying to attack right now, and it, it's positions but it's also kind of going for need and that's why a lot of people are like well in the later rounds that's where adam peters gets to cook because he doesn't got to worry about conforming to need or anything like that he's going to get his guys and that's why you see a lot of these fifth six seven round picks for the 49ers turn out more often than you'd expect with other teams i'll preface my talk because it's going to be a little bit just brunt uh, uh brunt uh what do you call it brute force brutal. i'm just gonna just brutal i'm just gonna say as i say it but 49ers were not going to expect to be having one of the best drafts in the uh this year they didn't have a first or a second round pick they didn't have a fourth round pick and when you're talking about the bread and butter of the class it was the middle rounds right and so you don't have an early round pick you don't have even a second round pick you don't even have a fourth round pick right and so what were they gonna do gotta start with jair brown loved it I, I thought that was he was my top safety on the board at the time and really there were three safeties that i really liked that i was eyeing juan martin at illinois sydney brown his teammate at illinois and then 
uh, Jair Brown. Those were the three safety I was, uh, that I was eyeing more so than others. Martin goes at pick 47, not even close. Sidney Brown gets taken by the Eagles. Phenomenal pick at 66. Then Jair Brown's there, but I don't think his his slide would have would not have been that that much more. 49ers trade up, they get their guy. If we're talking about Jair Brown as a prospect, he's a guy who I believe can really fit in well with the 49ers as their future starting safety alongside Talano Hufanga. I don't care about a 4-6-5-40 time. He plays a little faster than that, but overall, he's got short area quickness. Look at that 10-yard split. The biggest thing about Brown's game, instincts and coverage. He's a really good guy uh, uh, instinctually in coverage. He can really diagnose routes. He's got – and that really – when you talk about speed, overall speed, there's a difference between true speed and game speed. Game speed is what really matters. And game speed doesn't just involve athleticism. Game speed also involves how quick do you process the game. And so when you process as well, you can uh, make up your lack of speed with the way that you process. And I think a guy like Jair Brown, he's able to do that. Got to improve as a tackler a little bit, but he's still he, – he's not a he, – he, I diagnose his run lanes well. He's able to get into the game uh, – into lanes. I think that he's going to be a very solid player for the 49ers. He has experience as a ball hawk, 10 ends in the last two years. And also, he's got experience playing that cover one scheme. He's played in single high. He's played in uh, two deep shells. He's, he's got the different experience in the different sets of the 49ers run at safety alongside being a really good blitzer. 49ers yeah, traded he- up. Yeah, go for it. Well, I think he even mentioned that he he's a single high specialist. So uh, I think he fits in really well with what Steve Wilkes is going to run. Um, and you mentioned a lot a lot of it, man. Instincts, right? Measurables. He pro- he doesn't jump off the um, the paper by any stretch of the imagination. He looks slow. He doesn't have you know he doesn't seem like the most athletic. But when it comes to pr- productivity. He's one of the best. And, you know, I, I saw a video Eric Crocker was talking about is like if he ran a 4-4 or a 4-5 or and if he had like a, a, a lot, you know, a longer jump and a, and a higher, you know, um, high, higher jump, long, broader jump, all of those types of measurables, quote unquote, he'd be a first round pick. The, literally, the only reason why he's a third round pick is because his measurables aren't, um, you know, in that first round range. But as far as what people see on tape. And what he's able to do at the position is very, very elite. Now, you mentioned a lot of the the positives. You know, he's a disruptor, which kind of goes along the trend of what the 49ers have done in the last few years as far as what they're looking for on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the secondary, Rohan. Ball hawks, guys that can turn the ball over, which is something that's very different than earlier in the Shanahan and Lynch regime. They're looking for playmakers on both sides of the ball, which I think is, is phenomenal. He flies around. You know, you mentioned the 10 touch, ton, ten interceptions in the last two years. In the last two years, there's nobody that's gotten more interceptions than he has um, right. as far as production-wise. And it's not like he was at some, like, low-talent school. He's playing at Penn State, right? This is a, a, a Power 5 school with a very, very, um, you know, the Big 10, which we obviously know is a very uh, elite, um, elite conference in, in, in college. Where you mentioned some of the some of the negatives, and maybe the only question mark is, you know, he sometimes you you mentioned, you know, he needs to get better at tackling. It's not so much he needs to get better at tackling, like he's not a good tackler. He's just not always disciplined, right? He's so much right. always around the ball. He's always like he's flying, which is why he gets so much production as far as takeaways. Sometimes he tends to overshoot his lane. Sometimes he he tends to be out of control and and can you know whiff on on tackles. So you know, being a little more disciplined. 
is important, but I don't know how much better he's going to get because you'd also don't want to tame him because that same energy, that same kind of like um, being like just flying all over the field is what gets him production as well. The second thing is, you know, one of the biggest, uh, I guess, Achilles heels, you could say Rohan for the 49ers is the deep ball, right? When the speed receivers that are, you know, kind of just going deep and we've seen Hufunga get, get kind of lost on an Island. It looks like um, Brown as well. doesn't necessarily have the speed, to keep up with some of these faster receivers. So it's going to be interesting because that is an Achilles heel for the 49ers. I don't know if Jerry Brown necessarily solves that issue. It seems like he'll still be somebody who, even though plays decently well in coverage, I think speed could be uh, an issue uh, when it comes to that. So obviously scheme wise, Steve Wilkes is going to have to um, figure, figure that out because that is definitely something that burned the 49ers um, in the past few seasons. Yeah. Yeah, everything I like what you said there. And talking about the aggressiveness, something, an area where I do think that Wilkes could channel the aggression, blitzes. Jair yeah. Brown's a good blitzer. We saw that four and a half sacks, I believe, last year on 51 attempts, 15 pressures. Steve Wilkes also loves to blitz from the nickel. That's something that he he liked to do. He also has experience running a variety of different defenses, and he, he's known to be aggressive. So I think that, in a way, it's... Uh, a good system fit there. However, the biggest talk of the uh, of the of the town was Mr. Jake Moody at ninety nine. <laughs> I'll let you go first. I'll let you go first. That's what I'll say. Yeah. So, look, obviously, this is the most controversial pick that the 49ers had, and uh, for, you know, is it ideal to pick a kicker in the third round? Uh, you know, obviously, the answer is no, because you usually think you could utilize that pick on on um you know other players however once again you mentioned rohan some of the limitations that the 49ers had in this draft as far as where they're picking and and not having you know higher picks and and things like that you know for me goes back to what i think the 49ers philosophy is not necessarily just taking best player available but best player available at a specific position that they value or a position of need. The only guaranteed position that a rookie or the most likely uh, position that a rookie would be able to start on this team this season is kicker. It's the only position that's there's not a, a, a bona fide starter at. Um, and it's the, it's a very important position, right? I, I, they, they need to have a very solid kicker um, to be able to compete in this now let me talk tell you why i think um this isn't as terrible of pick as some people are mentioning because of how high they picked them i think because robbie gold is so good in um field and field goals and clutch kicks uh especially in the postseason that a lot of people don't look at maybe some of the deficiencies that were there as far as what could be the difference between um getting the the team to be even better when it comes to special teams so the one one that that is blatantly glaring is the 49ers were the 28th ranked team when it came to touchbacks, right? Out of 32 teams. So we're talking about one of the worst teams as far as that. So why is that so important? When you're giving, you know, teams the ability to run the ball, um, you know, and and that's to get better field position. When you're giving them a chance, like obviously there's chances that you could keep hold them, you know 
behind the 25 yard line, but there are many times where teams are getting to the 30 teams are getting to the 35 or you have that momentum shift that, that that's able to be there. Also, you know, uh, kicking the like returns and stuff like that could lead to injuries on special teams, so on and so forth. The 49ers have just been terrible at that because they haven't had that strength in the leg. So Jake Moody obviously is known as one of the strongest legs, if not the strongest leg that was in the draft this year. Um, so that automatically could get solved by that. The second thing is how can Jake Moody become even more of a weapon than Robbie Gold was? Robbie Gold was extremely consistent. However, he didn't really have as much range as as Jake Moody has. And what I, and specifically, let's go 40 to um, 49 yards, right? The deeper side, Robbie, yeah. Yeah, the deeper side. Robbie Gold um, was somewhere around 82% when it came to that last season. Uh, I think it was like 7 out of 11 or something like that. Jake Moody was 92%, a whole 10 percentage points above that, right? Um, he had three kicks that he made over 50 yards. Um, I think uh, Robbie Gold only made two over 50 yards. So we're automatically giving the offense the ability to get points without having to drive the ball as far. So if you're able now to stretch that to where instead of 30 to 40 yards being that sweet spot, which Robbie Gold is amazing at, now you're pushing that back to 40 to 50 yards, 50 yards plus. That's giving your team an extra 10, 15 yards that they don't need to be able to gain to, to gain points. So to me, Rohan, I think that Jake Moody out of this draft class immediately becomes the most impactful player to help make this team that much better. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of arguments and probably from the looks on your face, you're probably one of those guys is going to be like, this is an idiotic pick. But to me, as far as, does this player help the team become better immediately? Can this guy be the difference between the 49ers winning a game and losing a game? I think that he does. And because of where they picked, the fact that they didn't get any, they didn't have a fourth round pick. And you saw that the New England Patriots traded up to get a kicker, right? To me, this was by far the best kicker in the draft. It's a position that they needed. And it's a guy that they all fell in love with. I think you go out and get that guy, even if it's, you know, higher than maybe um, some people are comfortable with. Now, what I'll say is everything that you brought up is true, right? In terms of impact player for this class, Jake Moody is the starting kicker. Zane Gonzalez is going to get cut. I mean, the the, the John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan said it today, I mean, uh, yesterday. The only position that they viewed that they felt they needed a starter at was, Jay, uh, was that kicker. And they got the they what they feel is the best one in the draft in Jake Moody. However, with the way that the 49ers are positioned and the way that this draft was, I I, I thought it's irresponsible for you to select a kicker at the highest position that a kicker has ever been selected since 2016. In fact, since 2011, there have only been three kickers, or sorry, four kickers selected before the fifth round. Two of them were in this draft. Both of them, I felt, were reaches, even though they're talented players. One was Robert Aguayo, and then another one was last year in Cade York. When you talk about the, the problem with kickers, I, I mean, I, I've never done research on kicker stats before in my life, and that changed because I wanted to see truly how, how, how does the draft portion translate to what actually happens. And I found out last year the top 22 kickers in accuracy 
Only seven of them were drafted. And even if you looked in the top 10, only two of them were drafted. Now, Jake Moody, solid kicker. Like you said, accurate in that middle portion range. However, overall, Jake Moody, it's uh, it's a little tough uh, in terms of his overall accuracy because Moody, 82% this past year, had a really good 2021, but 82% this past year, I think 81.9% or something like that over his entire collegiate career. That's not that's not that good. That's not if we're being honest. That's in the bottom twenties in in the twenties uh, overall. And to me, like it's not even about that. It's more so not about the player, but rather the value that you select in that. Drafting a kicker at ninety nine, even if he's going to be gone, I felt was too high. It's just when you had other positions of uh, not necessarily need, but when you're the 49ers, look at what the Eagles did. I'm not even, I'm not going to try and compare their drafts because of the first round picks. I'm saying, look at the later rounds. You're not drafting for right now. Your roster is one of the best right now. How do you keep the roster as one of the best as you move forward? You replace positions in the future. Offensive tackle was on the board. And I'm not saying I'm the biggest fan of maybe uh, the guys that were still on the board, but still, I think that there was value there. Uh, I thought there was value at other positions. I thought we'll get to the Cameron Law too. I thought there was value at other positions as well. If you wanted to go edge, if you wanted to go receiver, if you wanted to go uh, several other positions, I thought that there was significant value on the board because a lot of players, a lot of key players are falling after they selected Jair Brown. I thought it was uh, even there. And even if they were dead set on taking the kicker, it you you needed to trade down. You had to trade down there. You saw at the top of the fourth round how much value there was for teams looking to trade down. The Philadelphia Eagles even sent a third-round pick in 2024 to move up for a fourth-round selection. You could have gotten good value for that pick because of the amount of – because teams understood there is so much value on the board. We've got to go get it. I thought that that was a mistake by the 49ers, and really I thought reaching for a kicker this high, especially when the hit rate, on kickers isn't as high and also because the value that teams normally go for you can tend to get an undrafted free agency I, I i just didn't like the pick i thought that this arguably was the worst pick that the 49ers had even though the player for me is fine great leg and i do think that your touchback point is really important but i also think that there are significantly uh, several pick uh, kickers that you could find that fit that mold too zane gonzalez included and to me I, it's it's about value. That's the primarily thing. It's about value. And I understand it. it's a crapshoot. Right? The draft's a crapshoot, but I think right. you still got to capitalize on value, especially looking forward in the future. Well, I mean, value is all perception, right? So, you know, you look at some of the third round picks that the 49ers have done in the last few years. Um, you look at Trey Sermon, no longer on the team. Ambry Thomas, never touches the field. Um, you know, uh, TDP, He's looking like he's somebody that's not, you know, going to see the field too often, right? That's not the case for Jake Moody. There's nobody that's questioning whether or not Jake Moody is going to get much playing time on the 49 I'll give so- you a hot take as you as you move on. I would have taken Roshan Johnson there at, at 99, a running back over over the kicker. I, I think the running back would have provided more value at that point. Maybe, but Roshan Johnson might not even make the team, to be honest, because the 49ers stable of running backs is pretty filled right now. He he would be competing for that. So we've seen a lot of these third round picks that the 49ers have taken, which may have been better value, um, not pan out. So once you you mentioned that it was a, a crapshoot, I want to mention you said that 82%. And once again, I think that sometimes just the numbers 
on their own without context can can seem like 82 percent right. doesn't sound good but he went three for seven when it came to kicks over 50 yards he was attempting yeah. he was attempting kicks that were 56 yards 59 yards 60 yards kicks my uh, michigan was having him do these are like hail mary kicks that he went three for seven his i think his long for um for the year last year was like 59 yards so but if you take that three for seven out he went 26 of 28 from zero to 49 yards that's ridiculous numbers when you're coming when you're when you're talking about um you know accuracy clutchness so on and so forth and this isn't a guy zane gonzalez has played in arizona he played in arizona for college he he's played you know in warm weather places we're talking about jake moody is making these kicks in the dead of winter in michigan right so when you're talking about clutchness you're talking about the type of kicker that you want and you're talking about you know the highest scoring players in the nfl of all time are all what position rohan wait uh in all the nfl what do you mean yeah when you look at just the records who's the highest scoring players in all in, in all oh you're saying kicker yeah it's kickers right so if you can get everybody so okay you could patchwork these kickers and every everybody's accurate right you can always find a kicker nobody really sets on a kicker unless they're you know um like the guy out in uh baltimore or you got you know you have uh like tucker or whatever the case may be but for me if you get jake moody and jake moody becomes the 49ers kicker for the next decade for the next 15 years um to me you're not going to look back and be like, well, they took him in the third round, so it wasn't worth it. To me, you take a player that's going to immediately make an impact on the team, immediately make the team better, and everybody else as far as value, these are all perceived. The, Jake Moody is somebody who's actually can be tangible that we're going to see make a difference on the team immediately. And the way they talked about his makeup, he comes from um, Harbaugh, who we all love as far as a coach and, and has ties to obviously the 49ers. He gave, um, you know, glowing recommendations about him. Everybody signed off on him. Yes. Is it the sexier, sexiest pick? No. But I do think that it's going to be a valuable pick. I do think that Jake Moody next season is going to be the reason why we win some games. And people are going to fall in love with the fact that now, you know, maybe we could, you know, we're, we're in field goal range 10 yards deeper than we, we, we've been in, in the past, which I think makes – Shanahan's life a lot easier too in some of these decision makings which you know came to go for it or, or kick the field goal I think when you have a guy who has a strong leg it makes life a lot easier and we haven't had that in in some time and I mean that's fair that's fair to me though to warrant the selection Moody has to be a top five kicker in the NFL sure. can he be that of course and it's tough the only thing is I wonder how quickly does he adapt to the NFL because we do see undrafted kickers like go straight to, to to joining nfl action cameron dicker last year was the most accurate kicker he was an undrafted guy uh for the la chargers it i i just think that there's so much value um elsewhere that you could stay off the kicker and i understand that that you know it's the one position where you could have looked at but it's great to take a talk obviously we disagree still great points here i believe on both sides and i think that yeah it's a valuable discussion and one again like I said, when we preface this draft, you you evaluate the draft three to five years down the line. Right now, all we could talk about is their perceived value. We can't really talk about what uh, what what's going to happen because we don't know. And so that's that's the whole point of this draft conversation. 
But let's move on to the other third-round pick, Cam Latu, tight end, Alabama. How are you feeling about that one? So this is the most questionable pick that I think the 49ers had. So I know a lot of people said it was the Jake Moody pick. To me, the Cameron Latu pick was – I was kind of like, what? Like There was better people, I felt like, on the board. And as far as what the, what the 49ers look for or the type of tight ends that the 49ers have utilized – Cameron Latu doesn't fit that mold, right? Usually they want a blocker first and then a, a pass catcher second. Cameron Latu is like the opposite. He's more of a pass catcher than he is um, a blocker. And he's not even the greatest at, at pass catching compared to some of the other um, tight ends that are out there. So, you know, you look at like a guy like Ross Dwelly. Ross Dwelly is really, he has, you know, golden hands, right? Ross Dwelly is a great pass catcher. But he could barely make the field because of the, he's not necessarily the blocker that Kyle Shanahan wants him to be. So I'm a little questioning why Cameron Latu was the pick, um, just because he doesn't he's he's not necessarily like the most willing and avid blocker. Um, he's not necessarily like like super great at pass catching at, at the tight end position. Um, so I I mean the only thing that I could really think about it is that you know. As far as he was one of like, I think two or three tight ends that were invited to George Kittle's like tight end university, uh, as far as collegiate tight ends and stuff like that. So I don't know if there was like some kind of connection there. But for me, I was really like Cameron Latu. I mean, obviously the pedigree as far as coming from Alabama and, you know, all that kind of stuff is great. But he was a pick that I thought you could pick a lot lower because I don't think he makes the field anytime soon. And I don't really see him as the prototypical tight end that Shanahan likes utilizing. I didn't like this one either. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I thought it was a reach at this position. Tight end. I wanted them to draft a tight end. I actually also like the idea of drafting two tight ends. I think that that's about, I think that there's value in that. We'll get to other positions later, but tight end. I thought that there was more value on the board. And when you look at the tight ends, especially recently, there's a pattern between athletic tight ends and success. Athletic tight ends, elusive tight ends, and success. There was a chart that came out by PFFs. I forget exactly who put it out, but there, it's it, there, there's somewhat of a correlation. And even then, you look on film it, in, in itself, and I thought that there were better tight ends on the board at the at, at number 99 where the 49ers are selecting. Cam Latu, not the best athlete. He is a fine blocker. He's a solid pass catcher, but 11.1% drop rate, that's scary. You know, uh, his athletic traits not necessarily uh, testing out well for his route running abilities. That's another thing to worry about. How well is he after the catch? That's something you have to see at the next level. And so for me, I'm not the biggest fan of the pick. Uh, can can Law to be a good player? Yes. But I thought that the 49ers should look to try and find a guy who they believe, he might not be the guy right now, but they believe can be molded into the eventual starter at tight end over George Kittle. A guy like Zach Kuntz, I'm not going to say I'm the biggest Zach Kuntz fan overall, but I thought that his athletic profile at least made it intriguing enough to where you could warn a selection at 99 and take a player like that with his athletic profile to potentially develop. They ended up taking Braden Willis later. Um, I really like that pick because uh, I, I scouted him. I thought he's a better player. He's a little more versatile. It seems like he could play some fullback too. And he, he, he's, a, he's a pass catcher. He, he can catch a lot of touchdowns. Uh, that's something that Latu did as well, despite his drop rate. 
think that that's something similar, but I was not a big fan necessarily of this pick. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Yeah, and I think, you know, I watched a little bit of you streaming, I think, during, or maybe it was something you were tweeting. You mentioned that both of these um, tight ends that they ended up picking were good red zone options. So yeah. maybe that was kind of more what they're looking for because, you know, especially Jennings most likely isn't going to be on the team probably in the future just because he'll be outpriced or whatnot. And, uh, you know, you need those kind of big bodies to be, um, red zone options and they don't just have a lot of them on the 49ers altogether, right so maybe that's something that they're looking for down the line to have more options there but I, I agree with you I just I was a little perplexed at it you know obviously pedigree and Nick Saban I think plays a big role in who the 49ers do draft I think they do look for that kind of stuff but yeah um, I'm with you this one was a question mark for me for sure yeah let's go a little positive to start because, I mean, last two picks, more of a negative reaction for me. Favorite picks. And actually, before we get there, do want to give a shout-out to the people in the chat. My guy, Marco, thank you for tuning in. Uh, obviously, we do a lot of content together. Spy Nick Danger, thank you for tuning in as well. Make sure both of you, everyone in the chat, make sure you go hit that like button. We appreciate all of your support. We love keeping this content out, and obviously, it's about the draft. Hot topic, so be sure to keep the content out, uh, or be sure to keep the like button out so we can get this content out. 49ers throwback, thank you for tuning in, as well as Yaffe and Mike Scott. But let's go to the favorite picks. Where are you thinking? Who? You don't have to give me one, but who Who in consensus was your favorite overall? So there was, I mean, there was a lot. Like, I liked a lot of the 49ers picks. I think mo majority of them I liked. But the guy that I want to mention is D. Winters, man, from TCU. He's somebody who I think is going to be a fan favorite immediately. I think he fits the mold of the linebackers that we have right now in Warner and Drake Greenlaw. Um, a lot of people kind of mentioned him as far as like a Drake Greenlaw type mold because of his speed and, you know, um, you know, tackling prowess. He does really, really good against the run, which I think is extremely important for a linebacker, especially with the 49ers. And, um, you know, the linebackers play such a big role in, in the run defense. Uh, but, you know, he's, He's good in coverage. And I think Rohan, you know, seeing, you know, we have probably the best linebacker in the league when it comes to coverage and Fred Warner to have another guy that's just a pure athlete that, you know, can fly all around, all around and, and be another guy that could cover as a linebacker and has the speed to maybe keep up with some of these skill positions, whether it be a slot guy or, or a linebacker. 
it's just a phenomenal pick to get him, especially in the sixth round, right? And this is a guy who's a captain of a team that overachieved this year, right? Nobody had TCU as making it all the way to the championship game. Um, nobody had them beating Michigan. And when you're talking about a captain of a team um, to be able to get his his teammates ready for the type of season that they ended up having, there's something special about those guys. And I think that coming into the culture that the 49ers have, I think he's going to be amazing, man. And I, I really think, you know, obviously we know what the 49ers are capable of doing with linebackers and developing guys. Um, this is a guy whose starting point is a lot higher than some of the linebackers that they've been able to develop in the past. Um, spe specific, like a guy like Aziz, I don't think Aziz had any of the measurables or any of the, the type of traits that D has coming in starting position. We saw what Aziz was able to do in this system. So I'm, I'm excited about the next few years, especially with the guy that doesn't necessarily need to come in and make a big impact in year one. He gets to sit behind Greenlaw. He gets to sit behind obviously the best linebacker in the game right now, Fred Warner, but knock on with us. We know, you know, Greenlaw has gotten injured and missed some games. To have a guy like this jump in who I think can immediately come in and, and be a playmaker, I, I'm really, really excited about this pick, if you can't tell. Hey, I'm right with you. Like like I said, wasn't a big fan of 99 and 101, but I like Jair Brown. And D. Winters is a guy. He's, a, he's just another guy who the 49ers envision can be a linebacker type of player. Good speed, and especially sideline to sideline. Good angles in the run game. Solid run defender. He's he, he's VSC's replacement at the moment. Well, he won't be in year one, but he has the potential to be, you know, a sub linebacker in the NFL. A solid pass rushing. Oh, sorry. Uh, a solid off ball linebacker. Or, sorry. A solid on ball linebacker. And so, to me, I think that D. Winters is going to be a solid player overall from TCU. A lot of, uh, lot of highlights, obviously, on tape itself. But what he and a guy well, immediately, yeah, Rohan, a guy immediately, sorry to cut you off, immediately can make an impact on special teams too, like with his speed that, yeah. and its size. Like that's a guy, that's a guy who could immediately come in and and be a gunner or you know some something on the team and make an impact there and and is willing to, I would think, because of you know just the, the makeup of the player as well. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I think the 49ers, we took, I believe, nine selections in this class. I was a huge fan of uh, Brown. Was a huge fan of the corner in fifth round, Darrell Luther. Uh, out of talk about him. Man. Talk about him. Yeah. Talk about him. Darrell Luther. I mean, in in my opinion, Marco's been high on him for a long time, and I, I recently watched him, and we were talking even about potentially hearing his name at ninety nine. That's how uh, that's how it was going, and the 49ers got him in the back end of the fifth round. Luther or Luther. Uh, solid corner. I think he can play in both press and zone schemes. Good length. And he, he's, in a, in a way, a little reminiscent of Samuel Womack from a year ago. Uh, Womack, obviously, 5'9", 187 when he was drafted. Luther, uh, foot 189. Uh, but Luther's got 32-inch arms. Womack had 34-inch arms. You know, longer arms. And that that's he's a solid, solid cornerback. Good speed. Solid athlete. I think he fits in well with what the 49ers want to do. Now, whether he plays on the inside or outside, I think depends a little more on his uh, weight. Can he can he be become a little bigger? Uh, but he's got solid size and he's got good hands and good uh, uh, good length. 
which is why I think he's a solid pick. Also like the defensive end, Robert Beal out of Georgia. I mean, at the 49ers had to go defensive end at some point, and I liked uh, Beal. He's got, again, solid traits with those long arms. can be versatile. He's big enough. He's 6'4", around 250 pounds, good strength. And I think that he's a good developmental guy that will improve if he learns a solid amount of pass rush moves from Chris Kosarek. And I mean, it's Chris Kosarek again. So you, you get worried a little bit, a lot. Well, not a little bit, just a lot less. Just because, um, you know, of his of way that he can develop defensive linemen. I think Beal was another pick. I talked about Winters. And so those Let guys, me tell you what. I, I, I like Beal what? a lot. And I want to tell you why. You look at that Georgia defensive line which 90% of them are on the Eagles now, right? So um, so good luck to us because we're going to have to face them consistently in the Eagles 49ers burgeoning uh, rivalry. But there's a couple of things that stood out to me about Bill Jr. One, last year, not this last season, but the year before, he had six sacks, which led the team, right? But he's not an every-down player. And what I mean by that is you think he knows how to be productive, around super talented defensive line and what's going to be his position on this defensive line right nick bosa Ark go Armstead, get the pass great right he's gonna be around some really really good players and finding a player that knows how to play on a on, on with guys that are maybe more talented than him or definitely have you know more recognition than him and still be able to be productive i think is huge because that's exactly what he's going into with the four niners as well the second thing that really stood out to me, Rohan, was if you look at some of the bigger games that he played in um, last year in the national championship game, the year before uh, the game before that and in the SEC championship game, he was productive in all of those games with multiple tackles, uh, sacks, pressures, things like that. And once again, he's a rotational player. He's not somebody who's every down. So the ability to just maximize and be a specialist um, instead of like an every down or without being productive, without necessarily needing to play every single down, I think is extremely important, especially in a defensive line where we now have three down players pretty much at every single position. So he's not going to be able to get as much playing time or necessarily as many reps. So you look at some of the guys, you know, um, so, like some of the players like Charles Amenahu when he first came on the team, not last year, but la- the year before where he came in on the trade, not getting a lot of playing time, but still being able to be extremely right. effective. Jordan Willis, another guy who wasn't getting like all, every day, every down snaps, but still able to be effective. Finding a guy like Bill, who I think can be that same type of player, which can still be productive without needing a, a ton of, a ton of uh, opportunity I think that he's able to be that um, that successful at a college level, I think is just going to be able to be even bigger and better um, on the 49ers because that's pretty predominantly the role that I think he's going to play, you know, at least in the next couple of years. I agree. I agree. And I think he's, he's a valuable guy um, for the team. And I think overall, I mean, you, you trust the track record with defensive players that the 49ers have had, especially front seven players. And I think that this just adds to the depth. Defensive end was a position they needed a draft, not only for this year, but for the future. Because right now, it doesn't. It seems like three guys were locked to make the roster before Beal. 
That was Bosa. That was Drake Jackson. That was Cleveland Farrell. I don't think anybody else is the lock to make the roster. Beal now becomes a guy uh, as a part of that rotation. And I think it's a solid pick. The last guy that I like, we talked about Braden Willis a little bit and uh, my affinity for him. But the last guy I liked was Ronnie Bell, the receiver. Mm -hmm. 49ers, you got to understand where they are with the receiver position, right? Juwan Jennings, restricted free agent next year. Ray McLeod, unrestricted free agent next year. And so you need a guy who can likely compete in the slot. Ronnie Bell out of Michigan, six foot, 180 pounds. He's a solid player in the slot, and he he's able to do uh, – uh, Looks like he froze I mean, a little bit, Rohan. He's able to uh, be a really good – the most important uh, element. For, and I think overall so, – uh, you're, you're just delayed um, right now. now. Not yet. Okay. There we go. Now you're good. You caught up. Your mouth caught up to your sound now. Oh. Or maybe not. Maybe you're still frozen. <laughs> okay. okay. Good, 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 good. <laughs> Let's talk. Uh, what do you think about Ronnie Bell? Yeah, I mean, look, Ronnie Bell, I think, is going to be a guy that, you know, could 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 be impactful on the team. You know, unfortunately, he's, you know, the 49ers have done a really good job not drafting injury-prone players, quote-unquote, or, or, or guys that have had major injuries. Ronnie Bell, obviously, has, has suffered, um, you know, a severe knee injury in his, in his career. So that's a little bit, you know, you know, a little bit worrisome just because we know the track record of, of the 49ers when it comes to guys that have had injuries. However, late round pick, um, you know, somebody who, if he makes the team great, if he doesn't make the team, you know, it isn't the end of the world. A guy that I think can, you know, possibly play some special teams right behind Ray Ray McLeod. At least you have another option there. Ronnie Bell has the speed and has done that in his collegiate career as well. So I, I don't, I don't think it's a bad pick. I think obviously for where, where they drafted him, if it's a need, um, definitely depth there. And he, once again, a guy that doesn't need to come in and, and necessarily make a huge impact and sit back kind of like, um, you know, we saw uh, previous, you know, wide receivers just sit back and kind of learn and play spot duty and, and you know, kind of uh, be there in a couple years from now when, when we might need him. So I don't know, Rohan. I think you might be frozen, my guy. Yeah, went out. So um, one thing I did want to talk about was some guys that off of the undrafted free agent list that I think um, should be looked at. And there's one in, in particular. I think, you know, as far as the 49ers overall, um, one thing that people questioned was there wasn't anybody picked at offensive line and at least within the first seven rounds. So Shanahan and Lynch spoke about it. Obviously, they would want to pick an offensive lineman if there was somebody that um, fit the mold and and was somebody that they felt like could make the team. However, because of where they picked oh, – there we go. Rohan, you back? We're good now. We're good. All Don't right, worry. Yeah. Are you on your phone? <laughs> I like it. I just changed it, so now we're chilling. Yeah. All right. Cool, bro. So, yeah, I was just kind of mentioning we were going to I was going to transition into um, some of the undrafted free agents. So uh, that that I liked. So 
you know, was mentioning one of the one of the critiques, I guess, of this draft was 49ers didn't go anywhere on the offensive line in the draft. And, uh, you know, I think Shanahan and Lynch <clears throat> kind of discussed it, mentioning, look, they obviously would want to take offensive line. We know how much the trenches are important to the 49ers. However, because of where they picked and, you know, how the draft, uh, how their draft board ended up falling to them, they didn't see a player that they felt like um, fit the culture or, or fit the role that they needed um, as far as the type of offensive lineman they looked at. What's funny, Rohan, is, you know, a lot of people always are going at the 49ers as far as their offensive line, especially this regime. I actually did some research, and in the last five years, they've actually selected seven people um, on the offensive line. And out of those seven players that they selected, um, Cole McKivitz is about to be the fourth that is going to be, um, uh, uh, you know, full-time starter, right? So they obviously have McGlinchey, um, you know, uh, Aaron Banks, Burford. Spencer Burford, and now Cole McKivitz, four out of those seven. So the 49ers actually do draft a lot of offensive linemen and not only draft, like very productive pe- pr- productive guys that ended up being the starters. So uh, what's that? That's going to be – Three at sixty percent of their starting offensive line are going to be homegrown talent, which is you know pretty great. And if you get your guys Akil in there as well at some point, you know that's going to be you know eighty percent. So I think that sometimes it's a little overblown this narrative that the 49ers don't invest enough in into offensive line. However, the guy that I like is actually a uh, guy that they brought in through undrafted free agents is is Joey Fisher. Um, the, the uh, tackle out of Shepard. So he's a big guy, right? I, I, I looked at your article um, and saw his measurables. He's a really big guy. Um, I think the reason why he went undrafted is not because of his size or his production, Ron. It's because of the level of competition that he played. And I think he has like shorter arms uh, for a tackle position. But if you look at some of the film that I saw on him, the dude is fierce, man. He's extremely tough, extremely strong. Um, he he was brutal at the at the point of contact, and you know he's a guy that you know maybe there's a lot of question marks because he hasn't played you know high level talent, but we've seen sometimes these guys come in and even though it it hasn't they, you can't really you don't know till you know you find out in training camp, and if this is a guy that um, it, what he's able to do at Shepard can translate into the NFL as far as his strength and his ability at, at you know, at, at right tackle. You know, he could either be, you know, a definite depth piece because he's played so much right tackle in his collegiate career. Um, and maybe, who knows, man? Could he be a starter? I don't know. That would be a crazy, crazy story, obviously. But, you know, crazier things have happened. But that's a guy that I'm really interested to see how his camp goes and, you know, if he's a guy who could make make the team, make the team. I agree. I mean, Joe Shepard, I think, is the number one guy that they got in undraft free agency. Solid player. And I'm not going to say I liked their process of not going for a line, nor did I like their justification that they didn't believe anybody on the board would beat out or have a chance at a roster spot over Matt Pryor, Jalen Moore, and Colton McKivitz. I, I, I don't, I don't believe that. I personally don't, but. Shepard, solid player, should have gone drafted, ended up not. He's a little – you're right. Size is interesting. He's a little smaller. He's 6'4", 290. That's a little smaller, especially because he played tackle. 
he can't play tackle likely in the NFL with that size, but he's strong, man. He's, he plays bigger than what his size might indicate. He's strong, 40 bench reps uh, at the combine. He ran solid too, 4'9", so he's got great traits. And he, like you said, he's, he's a guy who moves people. He's powerful uh, uh, in the run game. And so to me, that's that, that, that intrigues me. I think he's a solid player. Do I think he'll make the roster in year one? Don't, don't know. Probably leaning towards no, but if you could keep him and develop him, another player that could be a very solid contributor, at least as a rotational piece, at least uh, in the future. Ron, it's interesting that you mentioned Cole McKivitt. So I went on a cruise um, a few weeks ago, and I actually, on the same cruise, was a current NFL player um, that that plays uh, for, for a rival team of ours in our division. Right? He plays for the Seattle Seahawks, right? Um, and he trains with Colt McKivitz. And hey, so, huh? now I'm not going to mention the name. I'll, I'll mention it to I'll, off camera to you. I'll tell you, but but I don't, I don't want to mention it just because I don't know uh, if I say anything that gets in trouble, right? But um, he told me that we're going to be happy with Colt McKivitz. He said from what he's been seeing off season, what the type of player is, caliber of guy he is, and so on and so forth that. Uh, we may be sleeping on him and that there's a reason why, well, you know, he didn't say this, but there's a reason why the 49ers haven't really panicked at right tackle and were willing to trade, you know, Mike McGlinchey even last season. I think that maybe we, we may be short, short playing Cole McKivis to be seen, but I've heard, you know, from obviously people that have worked with him now, obviously the coaching staff is saying what they're saying. We, we might need to give him a chance, man, and see see what he's what he's capable of. Obviously, obviously it's there. They didn't draft anybody to be a right tackle. They haven't gone out in um, free agency to, to, to try to solve that problem. And I haven't heard any negative things about him. Let's just put it that way. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he what he is capable of. I, I, I do agree. I do think it's important to give him a chance to win the starting job. Uh, and I think, I mean, obviously right now he's the odds-on favorite. I don't believe I, either player on the roster at right tackle will beat him out right now. Um, now as for the draft, the thing for me was I wasn't anticipating them drafting a starter. I didn't think the guy who they drafted would end up starting in year one. I actually thought more so it's a developmental piece to win in 2024 when you want to move off McKivitz or obviously, um, you know, his contract can be moved off. Or if you want to keep him as a swing tackle, it's viable. It's viable because you'd have a developed guy. We're back. Unfortunately, though, that 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 did not end up being the case. They didn't end up getting that uh, that offensive lineman, and so don't necessarily like the decision. But cool undrafted free agent here with Joey Fisher. Last question for me. Uh, actually, I'll let you go ahead and I'll ask the question. What's up? Yeah, I had a question, and it wasn't necessarily about the draft, but some stuff that happened. I think it was during the draft or maybe the day before the draft, which was the CMC contract. Um, oh, going restructuring. Ahead restructuring that to, to get some money there, which is extremely interesting, man. Intriguing because they didn't necessarily need it right away. Obviously they kind of played it off. Like we were right up against it for signing this draft class and all that kind of stuff. But usually they always have to kind of restructure a contract to sign their draft class. And they usually do it after the draft. They're not usually doing it before the draft or during the draft like they did with CMC. Did you find and, that peculiar? Yeah. Uh, my question to you is, 
one, did you find that peculiar or was it just the case of they didn't really have anything to do day one of the draft? So they just kind of got this done because maybe they weren't, maybe they just had to quote unquote free time to get it done earlier than usual. Now, if we're talking about the timing, I'll say yes and no. That happened during the draft. I don't think that's the bigger point, but more so that it happened before May 2nd, which is the first day that teams can sign players without having to worry about the compensatory formula. The 49ers are a team that loves their compensatory picks, and they will not lose compensatory picks if they sign players on May 2nd, which would eliminate the compensatory picks they currently possess. So that's where I was looking for more so. And I also think it hints potentially the 49ers bringing in another player or also understanding that they have $11 million in cap space. They may want to save it for the school year. Uh, or not the school year, but the, the, the <laughs> NFL year. Actually, yeah. I get my college now with the draft mixed up. <laughs> oh, my Lord. But, no, save it for the NFL year. And, you know, because a lot of teams like making in-season adjustments, pre-training uh, camp adjustments like a talent, uh, not talent, uh, to Sean Gibson that they signed this past year. And I know that that was for cheap money, but you could save it for that. The timing to me is intriguing more so, though, because of that May 2nd date. Because I do envision that they try and get maybe another edge rusher in the mix. You know, that that could be a place I told you about the three players that I believe are guarantees. The 49ers want to carry 10 to 11 defensive linemen again, probably around 10. You might want five edge, five uh, D tackles. And so they could look for another edge rusher, especially a guy who has a lot more experience to help shed some of the pressure off of Drake Jackson. Yeah, and I mean, there's two or three guys that are out there that would be extremely intriguing. Obviously, the one we were talking about all offseason was Yannick Ngakwe. Um, He would be obviously the odds-on favorite as far as his age, productivity, and how he would fit in. You would think that he would want to play on a defensive line that has, you know, the three other starters on there you know he's he's going to have a lot of one-on-one options out there which i think he could definitely eat um as far as that but another guy's frank clark man like i know there's been you know his maybe he's not necessarily quote unquote the best teammate or you know stuff like that but he's been extremely productive with the kansas city chiefs obviously you know won a couple of rings with him and uh with them and you know he could be a guy that's on the team so there are some guys out there that I think could definitely make the the team better. And especially with what you saw the Eagles be able to do, um, you know, this off season, uh, you know, the 49ers do, they, I think the 49ers have an intact roster that could definitely compete, but you get more talent. That's always going to make it a little bit easier. Right. hundred percent. And I think that there's still a lot of edge talent remaining. You talked about those two names. I'll just throw another name in Leonard Floyd out there. I mean, there's a lot of names still out there for the edge market. I think they can get whoever they want at a solid price, understanding now how far they are into the into the offseason. And normally teams don't pay and players settle for shorter deals and more cheaper deals in the offseason at this point. And so, yeah, definitely agree with what you're saying there. What are the, what are the 49ers' numb figures right now? Do you know that offhand? 11 million, I believe, is where they're at. How how much would they need to, how much would they need to sign their draft class? Like a million more, maybe. Uh, Maybe a million, yeah, probably a million, two million more. Understanding because um, uh, off-season involves the top 51 rule, and so it's the top 51 contracts, and a lot of those contracts are going to be under a million. And I believe their top 51 marker, like the last contract is like 1.0, maybe 1.2 million, 1.1 million, somewhere around there. And so I don't think that a good portion of this draft class is going to count against the cap uh, until 
after the 53-man roster is decided and when the cap space goes back to 53. So pretty much how much of this 11 million can they use to sign somebody? I think probably eight to nine million of it. And I mean, oh, this wow. is not the only, the only avenue. I think that you can utilize a good amount of it. And you also remember that Nick Bosa's extension is going to free up some cap space this year as well, or this offseason as well. So the 49ers could utilize all of the money that they just created with McCaffrey on the open market, understanding that they'll create more money for preseason and in-season acquisitions with Nick Bosa's contract. So they could be pretty aggressive then. I think they can. I don't know if they will. I believe they're only six spots before, like six spots under the 90, 90 man. And I mean, we've heard it. They have a vote of confidence in their roster. But I do believe that they can be aggressive if they want. Maybe even target multiple players. It's just a matter of liking of what do they want to trust the undrafted guys or do they want to go with more experienced options who will cost a little more and you don't get team control against them for uh, obviously team control with the draft pick would be four years ish. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't realize that they could use that much of the 11 million and still be able to sign their rookie class. So that's exciting, man, because that means they could be competitive against maybe some other guys. Because I think Yannick. If they could get Yannick, I think that's a game changer. I think that right. now they're right up there with the Eagles as far as being able to be competitive just because we're going to be able to wreak as much havoc as any other team. So, I mean, yeah, especially with the way this draft went, it's going to be an intriguing one. And, I mean, I think that there's still – I don't think the door's out on, on anything yet. I think that they're still going to evaluate your options at positions like edge. Again, draft-wise – not necessarily uh a, i'm not going to call it a failure at all i don't think that that's true at all i like to have the picks but i'll say right now it's a lot like a wish wash draft for me just understanding the value behind some selections although i can understand the arguments that you brought up in some of those as well i love it i love it man anything else you wanted I mean, to talk about i think we covered every topic today so i mean it was a fun fun top uh, talk excuse me Talked about the initial thoughts on the draft. Talked about our favorite picks. We talked about uh, the UDFAs. Some of the things that we found questionable. Uh, well, our respective differences. And uh, some of the players we really liked. So, a lot to talk about. Unpack what they could do even in free agency in a few days. So, it's a great episode. Any last thoughts, Neil, before we head on out? No, man. So, what are just before we go, what are, some, what are the next dates we need to be uh, paying attention to as 49er fans? So I believe May 2nd, like I said, for free agents. But rookie minicamp comes up soon. Then it's mandatory minicamp in June. June 13th, I believe the 15th, is mandatory minicamp. That's going to happen for the 49ers, and that's where everybody comes together for the first time. Uh, you, you know, the holdout people won't show up to voluntary workouts coming up soon, but everyone shows up to mandatory minicamp. And then after that, obviously, it's a 40-day layoff before training camp. Love it. The encyclopedia, Rohan Chakravarti. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, puts a good use here. It puts a good use here, and we're having a great time. So, Neil, as always, I appreciate your, uh, your, uh, here talking with me. Football, great here on a Sunday night. Guys in the chat, thank you guys so much for tuning in because we appreciate all your comments. We appreciate you guys giving support. Be sure to head to each channel, so Neil's channel and my channel. Hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe for more draft content, which is coming soon over the uh, over the course of the week. 
Me and Sunil will be back soon uh, as our schedules align with some more content. But thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll catch you guys next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.